Hi, everyone. Welcome to Moments of Truth, the show about my favorite moments from my favorite things. I'm Bill Coffin, and today we'll be discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 3. Phase 3 of the MCU is set in the aftermath of Ultron's attack upon the Earth and the destruction of Sokovia. It involves the fracture of Earth's mightiest superheroes, the emergence of new faces, and the conclusion of the epic Infinity Saga, the Thanos-driven meta-narrative that began with the earliest movies of the MCU itself. Consisting of 11 feature films released from 2016 through 2019, and with a combined runtime of 1,517 minutes, Phase 3 was the most expansive and ambitious installment of the MCU to date. It involved a cast of more than 50 recurring characters and a stable of 10 directors that included Anthony and Joe Russo, Scott Derrickson, James Gunn, John Watts, Taika Waititi, Ryan Cooler, Peyton Reed, Anna Bowden, and Ryan Fleck. All this talent worked in parallel at various times under producer Kevin Feige in what might be the most centralized Hollywood studio effort since the 1940s. The result was the further expansion of Marvel's cinematic hit machine, collectively earning more than $13 billion at the box office and earning pretty much universal critical and popular acclaim. In Captain America Civil War, we see our heroes come to a long-simmering breaking point. In Doctor Strange, we're introduced to the Sorcerer Supreme and the magical aspect of the MCU, while Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 unravels the origins of Peter Quill and sets the stage for further expansion of the MCU's cosmic aspect. Thor Ragnarok redefines the God of Thunder and his fellow Asgardians. In Black Panther, we get a deep dive into T'Challa's hero journey, as well as learning to shout Wakanda forever. Ant-Man and the Wasp put a pair of wings on Hope Van Dyne and opens the door to the quantum realm. And Captain Marvel introduces us to Carol Danvers, a powerhouse of cosmic proportions and Earth's last line of defense. Phase 3 also included the amazing Spider-Man into the Marvel movie mythos, first as a walk-on in Captain America Civil War, and then in his first two standalone features, Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home. Those who followed Marvel's complicated licensing history and Sony's control over the film portrayal of the character know just how much corporate wrangling it took to deliver what might be considered some of the most high-stakes fan service ever put on screen. And of course, the crowning achievement of Phase 3 are Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, which finally bring the Infinity Saga to a close and involves a mind-boggling array of actors and storylines. Now, before we go any further, a point of order. We will not be discussing Infinity War and Endgame in this episode. Those movies are simply too big and have too much to talk about to be contained here, so we'll be doing an entire separate episode just on them. But that's okay, because even without Infinity War and Endgame, Phase 3 would still be one of the most extraordinary feats of cinematic and superheroic storytelling ever produced, and I'm really excited to talk about it now. So let's get into it. With me today is Sebastian Stan, Stan, Chris Crenshaw. Howdy, folks. Keeper of the lesser-known but equally important heart of Agamotto, Tom Hespos. Oh, sorry, sorry, my, my, astro, my astral self was listening to another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and with us as well all the way from new hampshire the cree supreme intelligence joe pace higher further faster baby <laughs> everybody welcome we've all chosen to pick a particular movie and talk about our favorite moments from it but chronology in which we talk about these things isn't going to matter quite as much so i think we're going to do the classic d4 method tonight and and and, and start at random see who's going to start first so i'm going to roll and then we'll see who who gets to go first so 
Chris, we're going to start with you. So what movie have you picked from Phase 3? Talk to us about, you know, it gives a quick rundown of what that movie is for the five people in the universe who haven't seen it. And then give us, you know, what is your favorite moment from that movie? I, I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but it, it, I think it's the most important movie of Phase 3. And it's Captain America Civil War. Civil War opens with, we get Bucky in his past being activated and used on a mission. This entire scene is conducted in Russian, so you don't know what's really happening. Quickly, we move on to Captain America, Falcon, Black Widow, conducting an operation in Lagos, Nigeria, in which uh, Crossbones, the guy we, we formerly knew as uh, Rumlow, one of the guys that Captain America fought in the elevator, if I recall. Yeah. He has... Uh, he, tried to steal a biological weapon from uh, the Lagos, uh, Nigeria's equivalent like, of CDC. Like CDC, right. And something of a catastrophe happens. He activates a bomb and the Scarlet Witch tries to lift it up above the ground to minimize casualties, but it blows up through a building. And of course, the Avengers are blamed and the weight of the world's public opinion comes down on them. And, and this whole idea of sort of registration of superheroes comes up. The UN passes what they call the Sokovia Accords, requiring superhuman or, or metahuman people to register with governments and the UN in order to operate. Tony Stark, who has, of course, been weighed down by guilt for quite a while over Ultron, and what happened in Sokovia immediately accedes to these requests, but Captain America and some others don't. Poor Bucky is initially framed by uh, a new villain named Baron Zemo, who's a great, great, great villain, by the way. What, what, so good. He, he's almost so good. as good as villain. <laughs> Even without yeah. the purple bag on his head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I missed yeah. the purple bag, but well. Not forever, but um, <laughs> the, we, we do. We eventually get it. We are, we are rewarded for our patience on that front, for sure. But anyway, basically, Bucky is framed for uh, blowing up the conference at which uh, the Sokovia Accords were signed, killing the king of uh, Wakanda, making young T'Challa king. T'Challa, it turns out, is also the Black Panther, and he is pretty eager to kill Bucky. Because uh, because he believes that uh, he's responsible for his father's death, Bucky winds up captured along with Captain America and Falcon. Baron Zemo has a plot to that basically allows him to reactivate Bucky. Captain America and uh, eventually manages to get Bucky away uh, along with the Falcon and build a team to protect him. And well, a fight happens. <laughs> In, in the long run, a fight happens, yeah. and 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 the the Avengers are divided against themselves, which is it turns out Zemo's plan. Yeah. We get this awesome fight scene at the airport, which you would think would be my moment of truth, but it's not. Ultimately, we find Captain America defeating Iron Man, so as to protect Bucky, and leaving his shield behind. Let's be fair. He had some help. He didn't defeat Iron Man. He and Bucky defeated Iron Man. Yeah, absolutely. I, okay, I, I, should, I, I would never want to shortchange Bucky because he's possibly my favorite character in the MCU. Or shortchange Iron Man. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> this look, is a... look, look, before we go any further, I'm just going to say, look, I will give Chris five minutes to explain why he's on Team Cap. And then I will give Tom and Joe five minutes to explain why they're wrong. <laughs> 
Okay. So let's take it from there. Chris, please continue. All right. Okay. <laughs> then I guess I better get to my moment of truth. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, he's given the height of irony. We're probably gonna have a civil war on this podcast over civil war, which is what Zemo wanted, right? To destroy this podcast. So that's gonna happen. You were so my friend. <laughs> my my moment of Go truth ahead, for, yeah. for this film actually comes quite early when the Sokovia Accords are uh, being described to the Avengers by the Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. uh, Steve gets a text and it, it's telling him that Peggy Carter is dead. Uh, he so he immediately leaves for London. He's a pallbearer at her funeral, and during the funeral, Peggy's niece Sharon, who whom we've met before. She's a shield is this agent. Before or after they made out? I, this I is before. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that happens in this movie. It's lovely. Um, Sharon gives a speech that I, I don't suppose I need to read entirely, at least as she gave it, but it's actually lifted directly from a Captain America quote in the comics. The point of it is, and and you know, a, a brief paraphrase of it is, when the mob and the press and the whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the whole world, no, you move. That's actually not what Sharon says, or quite what Captain America says. In fact, it's what Mark Twain said. Hmm. the The whole speech is an adaptation of uh, something that that Twain said in a letter. And it was eventually published in, in, in one of the collections of the letters. It's the heart of Captain America to me. It's the heart of this movie. You know, what are our moral obligations? What are our ethical obligations? How do you weigh those against each other? And how do you do the right thing? Twain says, each must decide for himself or herself alone what is right and what is wrong, which course is patriotic and which isn't. You cannot shirk this and be a man. To decide against your convictions is to be an unqualified and inexcusable traitor. It is traitorous both against yourself and your country. In 2022, that's a really important lesson, I think. Hmm. We have, well, we see people misapplying it, of course. <laughs> Yeah, I see people. I see people miss. I I see people who I find to be reprehensible using that Captain America quote of "No, you move" all the time, and and it's like and it's like I I I think there's a point of that quote speaks to the courage to stand by a self-evident moral conviction, even when there's expediency rushing against it because it's too easy to do the other thing and you're afraid. And then yes. I see a lot of people who simply just take that as intransigent. It's like, no, just tell the world to move because you want it the way you want it, and it's like. And right. it gets to that whole notion of like moral absolutism versus moral relativism. This movie kind of gets in that territory as much as a superhero movie like this, I think, can get in that territory. But I think it's what helps make this movie be compelling to me because the more I go back, and I made that joke about, you know, Team Cab, Team Iron Man, of course, but like there's a depth to like, well, what is the right course of action here? And there really is no perfectly right course of action in this movie. That's that what's what's so great. But about we do it, have two team, team Caps and two Team Iron Mans, so... <laughs> It's go time, Iron Man. Go time. Iron Man. I will say this. I will say this that that for all of Cap's high flutin, flowery language about you know larger issues, basically he just chucks it all because his buddy needs him. And I dig that. That's fine. Yeah. We've all got friends that we would go to the wall for, and that's fine. But don't pretend to me that you're this patriotic icon 
And then you're going to spit in the eye of everything that your country needs because your old friend from the neighborhood needs you. Cap, when your country is, is framing him or, or allowing him to be well, framed, first of all, first of all, unjustly, come on, man. No, well, first of all, he's never, he's never faced justice for all the murders he did. I don't care if he was oh, under some he? other control or not. He, he basically, he snuffed out Iron Man's family. I don't blame Tony for wanting to, you know, go after this guy when he killed his parents video and cap his buddy oh, spoiler alert him about it oh that's right if you haven't seen this yet well yeah. spoiler maybe you should check it out no but but yeah. but, but that's um, so, so this me, is the point there's the macro conflict in this movie which is where do the superheroes of of the marvel universe fall regarding the sokovia Accords? do you want to go with it or do you want to go against it do you do you want to go with the set of rules established by the same government that Tony Stark told to go screw themselves in Iron Man 2 and they want to take over his weaponry. The government that was then, infiltrated by then Hydra, by the way, right? Okay. But, 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 but the other thing is you have this big account, you know, oversight accountability thing, but then it boils down to something very intensely personal. By the end of the movie, it's, it's this thing yeah, of, you know, entirely there, there's a, a very deep and personal betrayal that they're fighting over. It really stops being about the Sokovia Accords. When Iron Man, Cap, and Bucky all go to that Winter Soldier complex, right? And they're, they've squashed their their beef. They've managed to put everything behind them because they know there's a bigger thing to deal with. And that's when the real brilliance of, of Zemo's plan comes up, which is like he's, he's got an ace in the hole. He's like, there is still one level. He's got a wedge. Of, he's got a wedge yeah. yet to and this, play. And this is his whole it, point. This is his whole point. what he wants. You know? Yeah, and it's like it, it, when you see them fighting, it's it was heartbreaking. That movie oh. was the most heartbreaking battle, and I didn't care who won because I knew I was going to lose. As a fan. there were so I, many good fight scenes, and yeah, yeah, all of them were just like you didn't know which way to go. Yeah, what I, what I find fascinating is they cross yeah. where Cap is instead of playing the game of geopolitics, he's playing the game of the neighborhood, and this is my buddy, and and it's a personal fight. And Iron Man goes from I am Iron Man to here's what the world needs a suit of armor around it. And, and it, it's really interesting to me that there's this transposition that happens of the roles of these two guys. Oh, yeah. Of the leadership of the Avengers. Yeah, like yeah. Cap is the leader because he thinks big picture, whereas Iron Man's super selfish. And that's 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 brought into sharp relief in Avengers one. And the the uh, throughout phase one, phase two, phase three, they move these guys past each other to where Cap is fighting these intensely personal battles and Iron Man is now the guy who is on the chessboard thinking about the bigger picture. And, and in, this movie, in this movie, yeah. losing Pepper, apparently. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, well, there's a lot, right? I mean, you know, there's, like, there's, like, yeah. so, like he is losing the personal while he's it's focusing. It's too bad that Pepper. Pepper doesn't have a niece for him to make out with. That right. would be perfect. Oh. Bill, I, or, I'm sorry, Joe. I, I will. I will respond to that by pointing out that for Cap, like for Peter, it's always justice is always always about standing up for the little guy, and and that is at a personal level. We're we never going to hold up. I think we've been arguing this. about this for a couple of years now. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, right <laughs> we're never going to resolve away. it. Like, yeah. I, I still, you know, and Bill, Bill says, I, I can't believe you're on Team Iron Man. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, it's just one of those things <laughs> we're never going to get past. Well, for, <laughs> no, for no, no, me, for me, yeah. the, the, the divide is real world, comic book world. You know, this is a comic world, comic book world. And Cap is right in that context. In the real world, oh no, no, that that's not cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In the real world, you need oversight, you know. <laughs> you and, and, up, you need oversight. 
I get out of this place where like I've 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 been in uh, on you know on town councils and stuff like that where you have to think about like okay what's the policy that is the greatest good for the greatest many at the end of the day probably they're both right and wrong you got to try to find some middle ground between them I think that's the point Civil War is an adaptation of a, a pretty old well you know now. <laughs> Marvel yeah. story called Civil War that that it's was set us. off <laughs> that was set off not by you know the actions of the Avengers in a foreign country but by teenage superheroes uh, filming a reality show who you know tried to apprehend the Thunderbolt a guy who's had a <laughs> whose whose power is I explode real big by a yeah. school. <laughs> by an elementary school yeah. and uh, the story is very very different i think the most important difference is that cap simply surrenders at the end and says you know at this point we're just fighting in the mcu he doesn't he stays a fugitive yeah it's really neat the way the mcu takes these stories from the comics and adapts them makes them relevant it's there's nothing slavish at all about any of these MCU movies, yeah. um, and yeah. and 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 they're they're so willing to take chances with the stories and move beyond what the comics do. It's yeah. really fantastic work yeah, as I, a whole. I wholeheartedly agree. And I think it's important too in this movie, as much as we can do Team Cap, Team Iron Man, like we need to we need to nod that this gave us back. Spider-Man in the MCU. This yeah. gave us Black Panther. It did. This gave, I mean, and that battle at the airport, while not your uh, moment of truth, up to this point was the coolest thing we'd ever seen. Absolutely. <laughs> Just kiss I mean, all MCU. day long. Like, so I mean, good. I mean, bring the orange slices, Especially man. That, that yeah. <laughs> That was so good. It was like you got a metal just, arm. That's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's just that 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 scene left me breathless. It was just so freaking awesome. It was all over it. Even though you're like you you hated to see it because you hate like this is like a, this is like a classic comic trope of the good guys end up having to fight each other for some reason before they unite against a greater evil. But like it only kind of it's kind of a way to sort of address the, that existential like well who would win in a fight this person or that person right they kind of get into that a little bit but yeah. they handle it so well it's just so much fun watching these guys beefing and talking with each other and it's like it's almost like a it's almost like a big like brawl at the office kind of a thing you know it's like an I, annual this yeah, was we, something that would have yeah. happened in one of the annuals yeah yeah you right spider-man you know making all the quit like it's it's pretty playful battle in terms of you know it, it is, what's yes. going on like yeah you know spider-man's making all his little quips and everything like that and he's he's having some success you know two on well, we've one got you know? man he goes back and forth with captain america and you know yeah. you got everybody's kind of Brooklyn like making Queens. jokes almost as they're doing it <laughs> And it's, yeah, it's kind of like a funny yeah. battle until yeah. you hit that moment where vision just yes and like yes. boom that yeah. playful thing just stops yeah. dead in yeah. its tracks you're like oh my oh, oh. god somebody yes. got badly hurt possibly killed here <laughs> yeah 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 and, and gives yeah. us one of the best post-credit scenes of all time with tony stank right like i mean like that that if, if there isn't a better <laughs> you know, what, 
Seriously, you needed that joke so bad because I felt my heart was so ripped asunder by the end of that movie. It was just like watching these heroes I really loved go at it. I mean, they were like trying to kill each other. Like it's a really savage fight. There's no quarter given. It gets to the end. These guys are just going to not, they're not going to stop. And when it's all over, it's like you realize that, that Zemo won, even though he's captured. He got, Zemo got exactly what he wanted, which right. is to drive these guys apart seemingly forever. What's happened in my heroic world here? And then you get this Stan Lee shows up in his cameo and goes, I have a package here for Tony Stank. <laughs> and it's Rhodey who's laughing. Tony Stank, table for one. Like, he's the guy who's suffering the most in this whole story. He's the one who gives the first laugh after it's all over. Like, he gives us permission to laugh about it again. And I loved how they used that character in that moment. Like, I needed that that chaser so bad <laughs> in, this, in this movie. You know, I was so invested. I was so invested. I think we're going to move on to our next one. So we're going to roll the magic D4 and see who's next. All right, uh, I think we've got, oh, it's me. It, it, this is tough. Phase three is is so long. There's so many great movies in it. It's really kind of hard to decide, you know, which movie you're going to go with. But I decided to go with Thor Ragnarok, which I absolutely adore this movie on any number of fronts. I think there are more important movies in phase three. I think there are movies that do more to advance the meta narrative in phase three. I think there are movies that do more to say things to their audience. But for sh just sheer, pure, unadulterated, oh my God, I am having such a good time in this movie. Thor Ragnarok may be the top, uh, one of the top certainly for phase three. In large part, I think we can chalk it up to the, the, the direction of Taika Waititi, who is for me, yeah. one of my favorite directors working in film today. If you haven't seen Taika Waititi's various movies, you really, really ought to. I got to know him through a marvelous mockumentary about vampires called What We Do in the Shadows, which is just hilarious and required viewing for everybody who listens to the podcast. Um, and there's a F, there's a show, Adaptation, the same movie on FX, similarly hilarious. But Waititi is fantastic. He's done a ton of really great movies. And he just wanted to do a Marvel movie. He actually like did the sizzle reel for what his vision of a Thor movie would look like. And he kind of won Marvel over, like, oh my God, yeah, you can have a Marvel movie. And he just went off on his own. Thor Ragnarok is really, it's cool because it feels a bit different from the other first two Thor movies. This one is more goofy and more whimsical it starts with you know thor is he's been off doing his own thing in the nine realms he defeats searcher the fire giant he comes back home to asgard after a while learns that while he's been away loki has actually been impersonating odin the entire time he's like oh my god dude he kind of tries to put an end to that but the whole thing turns on well they have to find where where is odin right why is odin not around anymore and that brings up the fact that you know, the Thor movies have always been kind of like an extended family drama, and it turns out Thor and Loki have a sister they never knew about, which is, you know, Hela, right? Basically the goddess of death, who's kind of like Odin's first <laughs> heir to the throne from a time when Odin was a much bloodier, much more ruthless, uh, you know, ruler who, uh, you know, all the gold and glory of Asgard was built on the blood spilled by Odin and Hela as they ran riot through the Nine Realms. And since then, it's been kind of covered up a bit. And she comes back, basically, to claim what is hers. The story is just, it's just one bad turn for another for Thor. I mean, he loses his hammer, Mjolnir. It gets shattered before him. He gets beaten up. He has to flee. And he and Loki end up, basically, hurtling across time and space to this um, this world called Sakaar, which is sort of like this like junkyard multi-nexus kind of planet junkion 
everybody there is super powered basically. So he's just a guy more or less and is taken prisoner and is, and is forced to fight in these gladiator games and is a slave and has to get the heck out of there. And it's, it kind of goes from there. But the movie, it, it looks really different. It's got this crazy, wild, technicolor hue to it, especially once they get to Sakaar. Yeah. The kind of, and the designs, it kind of it kind of draws forth a lot of like Jack Kirby's um, early designs from like early Marvel comics of the 60s. Like it has that kind of vibe to it. Fantastic Four, craziness. Yeah, Fantastic Four, craziness. Like visually, it's a very arresting movie. It's just kind of odd, you know, but it doesn't really take itself very seriously. There's a real like, goofy humor throughout the whole course of it um he's a friend from work yeah self-deprecating yeah <laughs> so so not my moment of truth but there's a great moment where thor finally gets thor he just can't make his powers work like his hammer's gone he's lost his mojo he gets chucked into this arena and they're like you're gonna fight our big champion and you realize the champion is the hulk and he comes out and you're like and he's like he sees him he's like yes and the whole crowd stops and you hear a pin drop he's like it's a friend from work it's like that's such a that's such a Thor kind of like that that moment kind of captures a sort of comedic mindset of this movie and it's and it's not this movie isn't zany laughs the way say like you got with a lot of um, the Guardians of the Galaxy but there's just a different drier sense of humor here that really works for me and I just loved it and I laughed a lot during this movie. Um, uh, you did just, get Korg too, you know. Right, Taika Waititi himself. Taika Waititi himself, you know, himself thin, you know, hey man, luck, you new know Doug. I'm Cord. Yeah, I'm Cord. It's just this 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 rocky kind of you know gladiator. That's For just me, what Doug said. By the by the way, Korg Korg species is like what we first saw Thor encounter in like the first issue of Journeys. Tales to Astonish. Or oh, Journey into Mystery. Journey, Journey into Mystery. mystery. Yeah. yeah. Is is oh, that real? I didn't realize I that was such so. a deep. I yeah. realized that was such a deep cut. That's fantastic. I had no idea. That's they're really like cool. these rock creatures that came yeah. from. Oh, it's really cool. We see the Hulk getting involved, which is really quite cool. Uh, we introduce um, the Valkyrie, who's a, an Asgardian fugitive, who she's really, really cool. My favorite uh, feminist character. She's just, she's just the best. Stop it. She, no, 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 she, she's pretty awesome. Um, we have Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster, who's just, just <laughs> a delight. <laughs> How, when is he ever not delightful? My, my moment of truth in this movie is Jeff Goldblum forgetting a line. And there being a pause and all the actors around him being like, what's going to happen? And then they just keep going. It, he, he's talking and he goes... Uh, and everyone's just like, oh, I guess that's just his character is is forgetful and weird, and all of a sudden they just kind of keep going with yeah. it. Well, the and Grandmaster, that, Grandmaster, is this great bad guy because just yeah, like he's so he's so like forgetful and just distracted and that sort of thing. Um, there's a great there's a great moment in this movie again. It's just the humor where Thor and the Hulk are fighting, and at one point the Hulk just like grabs Thor and slams him in the ground and Loki's up in the stands with the Grandmaster and he can't help himself. He just goes, <laughs> yes, that's how it feels. <laughs> He's like calling back to when he got hammered in, in Avengers. It's so good. <laughs> when so Goldblum good. is introducing Thor and Hulk before their big tilt, <laughs> He's like, this is Thor. He's the god of, what's he got thunder? And he's oh, like, watch Lord. out for his hands. They sparkle. Yeah, they sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> he's so just like, it's just, it's Jeff so Goldblum cool. turned up to 30. Like it's, but it's always so Jeff Goldblum. Goldblum. This yeah. is his only character. He's right? like Jack Jack Goldblum, right? He's leaned in heavy to being a character actor, but it's a delightful character and I'm here for it. And they used it perfectly in this thing. You know, it just, it was just really like, they suggest that the Grandmaster of the, is of the same species as the Collector. You know, yes. from, from, well, they're brothers. Well, yeah, or, or, or something. I, it's well, just, they, they are thing. they are coevils. You know, they yeah, they are yeah, both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At one point, you're zooming in on like the Grandmaster's tower, and built into the tower are these massive like 
heads of the various gladiators. And if you, it's a blink and you miss it, but you can see, Beta Ray Bill. you can see Beta Ray Bill there. Yeah. I'm like, oh, Beta Ray Bill for all the I'm Thor so fans. Excited. Like, holy crap, it's awesome. But and the <sighs> reason for that, of course, is that this is a, a partial adaptation of the world of the uh, Planet Hulk story from the comics. Right, right. In which uh, Beta Ray Bill did feature in the animated version. Oh, really? I didn't know that either. Yeah. Okay. That's quite cool. But, you know, all these things, like this movie is super, super fun. It's not, none of it's my moment of truth, though. My moment of truth is it's a moment that is fairly table stakes in terms of what you would expect from a big superhero kind of spectacle movie. But it's carried out so well that it goes above and beyond for me. We're in the final battle, right? Thor and Valkyrie and Hulk and Loki, they they are going, they've gotten out of Sakaar. They're going back to Asgard to take it out of Hela's hands. There's this big battle on the Rainbow Bridge. They're trying to get the remaining Asgardians off the planet to buy them all time. Thor challenges Hela directly in the throne room and they have a one-on-one fight and he just can't beat her. She's just, she's so savage and so powerful. And she just, you know, she just, she just, they fight and eventually she just ruins him. She takes his eye. She just, she puts out his eye. You know, and has him, and she's like, you know, she's got him. He's just defeated. He's like, tell me again, you know, what are you, the, what are you the god of? And he, he's like on death's door, and suddenly he kind of has his dream vision where he meets, he meets Odin on the edge of existence, you know, and Odin and and Thor's like, you know, I can't do it. Like she's too powerful, and I'm not as strong as you. And he goes, no, you're stronger, right? And he kind of looks, and, he, and he's like, he's like, I don't have my hammer. He's like, you're not the god of hammers. No, yeah, yeah, like I gave you the hammer to control your power, right? And you're like what? And and and, and then kind of gets back, and she goes. What were you the god? What were you the god of again? And he kind of his his he opens his eyes and the eye socket crackles with this eldritch lightning and like and this is where in the MCU they don't license a lot of other people's properties. It's most of them by whole cloth. But for this movie, they went out of the lane and Waititi went the extra nine yards to license "Immigrant Song" by Led Zeppelin as part of the as part of the soundtrack. And "Immigrant Song" has simply got for my money probably one of the most if not the most badass opening guitar riffs of any song period that i mean it's just it hits and man i am ready to go like you are i just let's do whatever it's the it is. vikingest song ever it is it's just so bad and so, and so it's, everything's building up she's like what are you the god of again and his eyes open and all of a sudden it's like he, he calls the lightning down and she gets knocked out like what is this and Every, the whole battle stopped, and you just see Thor just flying up in the air, and all of a sudden the music comes in, and he's just coming in slow mo on the on the Rainbow Bridge, and you're just like, I'm losing my mind. And I'm gonna watch so it right old. now. <laughs> he's, coming, he's coming in this this bolt of light, just kaboom, just starts laying waste to everybody, and it's like, it's like yes, that's what should happen in a movie like this, but it's so good, it's so well done, the music matches so perfectly, like. This is this is one like the virtuosity of how all that came together really just astonished me, given that we were like I don't know how many movies into the MCU at this point, and they were still surprising me with how good they could be at just doing this sort of thing. And it just that 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 moment just completely annihilates me. And it's, it's even 
even though I know it now, I watch it again, I get so fired up. Like, I'm ready to just, like, go out and save the world. Like, let's just do this. Like, it's, it's just such a well-done scene. The big blows in that fight are all synchronized to the beat of the song. It's fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's super I mean, fun. You've it's got, you've got fun. so many great, great beats. I mean, you've got, you know, Banner jumping out of the Quinjet and landing on the bridge and not turning into the Hulk and just, like, splattering <laughs> Banner on the bridge, on the Rainbow Bridge. That, that sound of flesh against glass. Yeah. Like, Toon. Just a slap, right? And then, I mean, this movie tells you right off right from jump street this movie tells you what it's going to be when you've got thor in the chains dangling in front of searcher like you're right. like oh <laughs> hold on and he's like you know he's like it, it, it opens it's funny because it opens it's almost like a bond film the way it opens with yeah, like, yeah. he's in this like death yeah. trap how's he getting and he's got the insouciance and he's you know and, and the whole bit is there but no I mr this. bond i expect you to die yeah. <laughs> Exactly right. He's exactly. like, no, 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 not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and like, and he just almost casually dispatches Searcher, which is like the beefiest opponents that he could possibly like the have. Big bad, yeah. You know, I really loved Hella as the baddie here. It was like great, yeah. great. Blanche had so much fun. Oh, she oh man, that must have been so much fun to do. Like. You know, when you when you talked about, you know, Asgard, like before and like the other movies, like it, it was almost playful where you had, you know, like all these great little stories about Thor and Loki growing up together. And then like Hela shows up and it adds this whole like dimension of crazy stuff that happened before like Thor and Loki were even in the picture. It was so fantastic to get like that little bit of backstory about that where you know you got this sense that like ooh you know Odin and Hela did some pretty bad crap and like how do you think Odin got to be Odin and Asgard got into the position that it's in well like now you discover all that and you think well maybe you know it wasn't all you know roses and then you know uh there was a lot of conflict and a lot of uh imperialism (laughs) yeah no definitely Odin is definitely like you know imperial Britain Right. Like, I mean, when yeah. he had Hella, like, yeah. they definitely were doing some seedy stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it certainly, it, it, it kind of brings in the notion like, like that behind every great fortune is a great crime. And Hella's kind of there to remind, like, no, we did great crimes and we were happy to do them. And only now, with the, with the benefit of, of comfort and power, can you start to moralize over it, which is like, let's not forget who we are, where we came from. And, and I, there's, there's a lot of that sort of storytelling going on in phase three, of which the, is the same the, story as Black Panther, right? Right. Like these villains who, yeah. you know, they, it's true. Yeah, it's it, 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 who just they carry with them a significant tale of truth that empowers our motivations, and that you can definitely see where they're coming from, and and it makes them super interesting. And even though you never really sympathize with Helen in this, you understand where she's coming from, and she's not wrong. She's not right, but she's not wrong either, right? And they do that with Zemo's not right, but he's not wrong either, right? Uh, Kilgrave is mm-hmm. Kilgrave is not right, but he's not. I mean, I sorry, Killmonger. Killgrave is Jessica Jones. Sorry, Killmonger. Killgrave is pretty wrong. He is He's all pretty wrong. wrong. Killgrave is all wrong. Killgrave is a million percent I think wrong. Hella was probably the most wrong, though. <laughs> you know, probably. Down, got you know, a de- got yeah. some death. I mean, you know. Yeah. What do you, well, what do you I, want? You know, I, was... I liked the better when we just killing everything in sight. Yeah. That yeah. was my favorite. No, he's not part. wrong. She's <laughs> evil. That's, that's no. <laughs> Hella would have read the end of Use of Weapon to go, yeah, I dig it. That's all right. That's, all right. I, yeah, let's make some chairs. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, you know, but, but she was the. The hypocrisy of Asgard, though, she wasn't wrong about that. And I, I really kind of like that she she kind of laid that bare. Somehow, 
this movie could have that in it, and it could have like the crazy badass fight on this bridge, and then can have moments where like Thor is like, because that's what heroes do, and he throws that thing against the glass to break out and just bounces back and hits him in the face. Right. Like, just, like, like these stupid Three Stooges kind of moments, and like they all balance. You bad friend. Like, yeah, you're a poke. <laughs> they, they raging call you fire. Stupid Avenger. Like they have that, that small smoldering fire. <laughs> it's, yeah, just yeah, dumb Hulk sitting there talking to Thor is like just a treat. It's so much fun, you know. And it just but, but, the but they're is, on the Quinjet, and he's got he's got to guess the password. And, uh, and strongest of Avenger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so good. Point break. It's, it's so good. So anyway, so that that's my moment of truth with Thor Ragnarok. I really love that movie. It's one it's one of those like I go back to it just on its own quite a lot. It's just one of those always watch kind of. It deals is so much fun. It's, we just watched it the other day down at my brother's yeah, house just because it's just, it's just so much fun. It just exists on its own. It's just a delight. And um, I really hope I think I think Waititi's doing the next Thor movie. And I just hope he does more because he's he's just so much fun to watch him do his thing. He's he's very welcome and he's just a great filmmaker and uh, love the guy. So anyway, I, I want to I, I just want to touch on Tessa Thompson's moment where she comes down the sh- with the ship. And, yeah. and walks down the ramp and and but does the, the sort of chichu thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and she's controlling the the ship's guns. It is yeah. the most one of the most badass moments in the entire <laughs> Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a, and she yeah. absolutely kills it. It, it. Her just her insouciance sort about it is yeah. awesome. It, it, this movie is just a chain of firecrackers of just great moments. It just keep it just keeps going. I just freaking freaking adore it. So it's super super fun. Uh, so for our next segment, we'll die one more time. All right, and Tom, what did you pick? Why did you pick it? Walk us through it. Sure. Uh, I picked the Doctor Strange movie because, uh, like, I, I like Doctor Strange within the M, you know, within within the Marvel universe in general because it was such a breath of fresh air as a comic. Yeah. And it really just tapped into you know what the kids back then were into which was like the psychedelia and it was like the obvious you know effort to sort of cater to them but you know in terms of the marvel universe uh dr strange is a character who i love because you know you have all the super teams and they are they're handling you know alien invasions and other you know uh, super powered teams or super villains and whatnot and it's not that you ever get really tired of the Avengers, but like, it's really amusing and fun to me to think that there's this guy who is like the last line of defense against anything like mystical or, or magical or other dimensionally. <laughs> and he's the guy and he kind of yawns at some of the stuff the Avengers have to take on. And I always love that about Dr. Strange. Uh, so this is the movie that really introduces us to the guy who will become the Sorcerer Supreme for planet Earth. You've got, you know, this hothead neurosurgeon who, you know, super confident, super arrogant, and it all has to come crashing down right in the beginning of the movie. And of course, he's got to fight his way back from that. One of the things that I really, really love about Doctor Strange as a character is he has different superpowers from everybody else. You know, like uh, a lot of people compare him to Tony Stark and, and Iron Man and stuff like that. Like there's that whole common arrogance thing that they have. But sure. like 
Doctor Strange has his own special brand of arrogance, and I, I find it even better than Tony's at times. I think it's really, really funny and, and really fun to play off of. And, you know, another thing I'll talk about in a bit, which is, you know, he seems to have a really uh, better time with learning from mistakes than somebody like Tony Stark does. But um, And a high paid tolerance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More on that later. You know, you see a lot of that like perseverance right, you know, in the beginning of the movie when like it just it becomes his thing that dominates his life that he has to get back from an accident that crippled him and did, you know, intense damage to his hands, especially nerve damage that, you know, prevents him from being the hotshot neurosurgeon and he all he wants to do is come back from that and he goes to the ends of the earth to try to figure it out how to how to come back from this accident and his travels you know lead him his seeking of that uh you know solution leads him to Kathmandu where you know he he runs into the ancient one and uh you know this group of monks who you know really doesn't have too much of a clue about what they do at one point he thinks it's all this sort of like elaborate trick like these people can't teach him anything and then of course the ancient one pounds him in the chest and knocks his astral self out of his body and he immediately prostrates himself and says oh my god please teach me please teach me they throw him out and he spends like five hours pounding on the door to be let back in because he really wants to learn like what it is that they do there and how it might help him uh, get his hands back and you know the, the journey in his arc all throughout the whole thing is all about him figuring out that it's it's never really about him it's about you know, heroes who are needed and what he can do for everybody else. But it takes him a really, really long time to get there. And like, really, my moment of truth in this movie, it's not, uh, you know, Dormammu, I've come to bargain, which is right at the end of the movie. That's pretty much everybody's moment of truth for this. But yeah. my moment of truth for it is the Ancient One is sort of revealed to have been not doing such, such great things behind the scenes. She's drawing powers from the dark dimension mm -hmm. where uh, Dormammu dwells. And, you know, she set that rule for everybody else that this is forbidden. But for her, it's okay to do it in secret. And Doctor Strange kind of manages to reveal that to all of the you know monks and all the the people who the sorcerers who, who are following her and it's it's not a great look for her she's fighting the evil bad guys and here comes dr strange to help her out because he realizes that she's not you know perfect but she's doing her you know best version of the right thing so uh you know there's that realization and then the the ancient one is is you know basically hurtled off a building uh out of one dimension into the real dimension and it ends up like as a puddle in front of this uh skyscraper and Stephen strange jumps in and tries to help her and tries to get everybody to to uh at a hospital to like you know motivate and, and get her back into some condition where she could survive and her astral self ends up leaving her body and Stephen follows her and they have this great moment outside where um, you know, the, the ancient one is kind of looking out over the city and she explains to him that this is really, this is her death moment here. And she's never been able to see past this moment in like looking into the future. And she understands that this is it. 
And the last thing that she has to teach Dr. Strange is a very simple lesson. And she just basically says to him, it's not about you. And it took him the entire movie to basically figure it out that it's not about him. And that's, it, it plays the whole arrogance thing. Like it just never really occurs to, that it's not about getting his hands back. It's not about all the personal power that he can pull together and he can command. It's about him, you know, being the Sorcerer Supreme and being that last line of defense against the mystic. Tilda Swinton just shone in that movie, though. I absolutely loved everything that she did with it. There's a cool moment in this thing where we see this guy named Pangborn, who was kind of like Stephen's um, first, like, first solid lead on that there's like a metaphysical solution to his problems, perhaps. And he was this guy who... Benjamin Bratt. But he had suffered a, he had suffered a bad injury, had gone to Kamartage, had learned things, but he just channeled his energies into healing himself. And he did, but he was no longer part of that order, right? Like he was no longer, he certainly wasn't anywhere close to what those other sorcerers were. He wasn't out there casting magic. He just gotten his legs back and was going back to playing basketball, and that was it. And mm -hmm. I thought they didn't really make a big point of it. It's just that when you get the whole notion of like, this isn't about you, like Pangborn made it just about him, and that's yeah. why he, we, right. and that's why he, all he did is he just went back to a basketball court. Whereas Strange answered that higher, that higher call as something else, and 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 went past went past himself. And and it is kind of cool to see him see him get to that. What's cool that about point. that too, Bill, is I, I didn't see any judgment there. It was like that's okay. Yeah. Like if you're yeah, gonna right. like if you're gonna make this, book, that's fine. Go well, have it be a post credit scene, but yeah. <laughs> Well, no, no, but right. but, but, well, he get, but but he he gets preyed upon in the post credits. It's not like he's getting justice. It's a bit like that that moment in Age of Ultron where like Hawkeye's talking to Scarlet Witch, and she's like, and he's like, look, he's like, you walk out of here. He's like, if you want to stay here, it's totally cool. I get it. No, you don't have to do this. If you choose to, though, go all the way with me. But you know, but understand, it's your choice, right? And to your point, like it's Pangborn's choice to simply re restore himself. That's okay. But what makes Strange a hero is that he chooses to go beyond that self, right? And then some of the ways that he does it is just is, is fantastic. Like he borrows a lot from you know his life as a neurosurgeon and just you know that that drive uh, to be the best in that field, like just carries right over into magic yeah, and the mystic arts. Yeah. Like he, he's, he's, he's like Inigo Montoya. Yeah. <laughs> He teaches himself astral project projection so his body can rest, but he can stay up and read all the books in the library. Like I, lo I love, basically, that. basically anybody who's gone through medical school understands the value of that, right? Like that, that's <laughs> for sure. Here's a guy that has always been vaguely tangential to the Marvel Marvel universe, right? Like, I mean, it, it's almost like Guardians of the Galaxy, where they're like, we're gonna take these people and make them movie stars. If you go to him, it's because things have either gone so bad that you need Or a it's a Marvel team-up issue. Or it's a Marvel team-up. But, like, there's a reason that he wasn't part of the Secret Wars, because he just would have opened a portal from Battleworld, and they all just would have went home. Right? Like, I mean, right. he's, he's, he's almost <laughs> yeah. too powerful yeah, to be yeah. an he's everyday guy. Yeah. Right? He, he's at the back page of the playbook, and he's doing his own thing. And, and I love the fact that they bring him in, and they, they add this, this aspect that without, without him – you know, Shang-Chi never happens without him. Like you don't get this yeah. entree into the, the mystical aspect of the Marvel mm -hmm. universe. It's, it's just brilliantly done from start to finish. In a lot of ways, it's a paint by numbers origin hero story. It's not, it doesn't break new ground narratively. It's, you know what I mean? Any, any of those sorts of things. It's just the acting, the direction and the, the writing are just, are just yeah. so on point that, that it works really well. 
and the visual look um that, that's true so my, my moment of truth in this movie is is when the ancient one strikes Stephen strange out of his body and and you know into his astral self and uh, and other dimensions what they show of all that stuff is it's just the most brilliant cinematic adaptation of steve Ditko, ditko's drawings that yeah. i can imagine the city starts beautiful. flipping over and stuff it's like what all what that stuff so it gets yeah, super right. trippy yeah the, the battle in the mirror realm is like ditko yeah. like vintage ditko which is so so great and it, you know it's funny because like ditko himself was a fairly conservative guy he was not part of the whole psychedelic scene. Right. he he had no use for people dropping ass or whatever hippies. so dirty yeah, for hippies, hippies dirty hippies like, dirty he was, hippies like he and Stan Lee would like lock antlers over, you know. Uh, so him like getting crazy. On Lee Dr. was Strange. high the whole time. Yeah. Well, I, I suspect I suspect Lee liked his cocaine. I, I suspect <laughs> Lee liked a lot of things, but the thing is that like, but like that look that Ditko really, really kind of pioneered for Doctor Strange was so distinctive and did so much to set him apart from the rest of the world. Like just it, the comics look bizarre and so weird, and the movie really tapped that beautifully. And uh, and these signature scenes, like yeah, like like when. When he first goes to the astral dimension, when that fight in the mirror realm, when he goes to meet Dormammu at the end, like the whole thing is so trippy, but it just it just works, you know. In many ways, this story is a lot like a lot of the comic book movies you saw before the MCU, which were always yes. these extended origin stories. They spent a lot of time, I think, because the the movie makers, for various reasons, didn't know what to do once the hero was the hero, right? You know, once the hero was fully suited up and fully costumed and fully powered. Well, then, then how do we make this actually work, right? It was easier to work with the characters as they're still people, right? What I love is what they did with that. Like, of all the Marvel protagonists, he's probably one of the least likable for the longest portion of his origin story. You know, because there's this great moment where he's, like, at his low ebb. His, his ex-lover slash friend, like, Rachel Carson, fellow surgeon, she's, like, she's trying to get him, she's, like, Stephen, like, she's trying to get him to give up this, this hopeless chase. So, like, he's burning his entire fortune... He's at wits and he's unraveling over this fruitless effort to regain what he can't regain. She's trying to get him to, she's trying to teach him that valuable lesson of acceptance, which is the most valuable survival technique of getting through trauma, right? As accepting things. And he just won't. And there's a point where he, tur he turns on her and he just like lashes out and he's so venomous and so angry. And all she's done is shown him love and just tried to mm -hmm. help him through this thing. And she's like, you know, I can't do this anymore. And it's like you don't have that kind of moment very often in the MCU, but it worked really well in that movie. And I love that they gave they gave us that moment to breathe before we got really heavy into the metaphysical and the magical side of these things. And and I just I just yeah. love that. Yeah, that was so well played. She plops the keys on the on the counter and and walks out, and you're like, oh yeah. yeah, that's not just a mere screw up. That's a relationship ending like, thing that game you know, off. That you're never gonna see yeah. again. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, and what's beautiful is that like at that at that time, like Strange's penthouse apartment was kind of severe to begin with, you know. But like at that point, he sold like all his possessions, so it's just like basically an empty place. So you just hear the keys clacking in this empty hard surfaces mm, yeah. room it just God, it's all you hear and you realize how empty his life is you know like yeah. it's like that's cinema that that's just good stuff man and you know well I, I think bill we have to acknowledge you know that the reason that they went with that sort of by the numbers origin story was that they had no faith that the public knew who dr strange was yeah. He, yeah. he has never never yeah. really been a popular subject in uh like in iron man video adaptation or whatever yeah. right yeah 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, and also they had Benedict Cumberbatch, who was a guy who could actually handle that kind of that kind of storytelling. I mean, I, I, he's a he's a who he's played a who played both Doctor Strange and Dormammu, by the way. Right. Yeah. And Smaug. And Smaug. He's just played everything. He's just he's fantastic. So, Tom, any further thoughts on Doctor Strange? Because this is one of those movies that I think when I was so glad you picked it because yeah, um, it doesn't always get pointed out as a great phase three movie, but it is. I mean, I, I really love this thing. It's Visually, great... it's my favorite. Oh man! Oh yeah, it's gorgeous. I just just to hammer home like an earlier point, you know, about you know he spends so much time in that low part of the arc uh, throughout the movie, like you know I'm watching him practice with all the monks and everything like that. I'm like, he sucks at sling ringing, like (laughs) he sucks (laughs) like not just for like a little while, for a long time, for a long time. The ancient one throws him up on the top of Mount Everest and you know has him get down by himself. You know, it's it's. (laughs) I thought that part of the arc, you know, him spending that much time in that part of the arc was great. (laughs) Yeah, you you, you want to see your superheroes work for it a little bit. (laughs) I I keep going back to the. the episode of uh, Zach Galifianakis in Between Two Ferns when he has Benedict Cumberbatch on and he says, <laughs> "Yeah," and he says, "If you didn't have a British accent, would people know how bad an actor you are?" <laughs> and, and, and it just makes me laugh every time because he's he's you know he does this whole movie without a British accent and he's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, that show is hysterical. That show is it, brutal. It, so- it really, it, it it really does like walk that line for me between <laughs> uncomfortable and like, yeah. there are there are comedians that i yeah. just find too uncomfortable yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah. but between two ferns like it's just, it's beautiful and if you ever see like right outtakes there. from it it's, it's hilarious he's got some outtakes from when he was talking to brie larson which are just <laughs> slaughter you so but speaking of which that brings us to our next phase so joe we're gonna we're gonna come to you last and can you talk to us about the movie from phase three that you picked and what what's your what's your moment of truth from it Sure. Well, earlier tonight, when we were talking about Thor Ragnarok, we mentioned Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie. And we talked about the fact that, um, you know, she was fantastic. But we we didn't talk about the fact that there was some pushback from some aspects of fandom uh, because she wasn't blonde and white and leggy and, you know, representative of what people expected from the comic version of Valkyrie. My movie that I want to talk about is, is Captain Marvel. In a lot of ways, Phase three marvel gets into representation uh in its films and uh you know we didn't talk tonight about black panther we might a little bit before we're done um but in captain marvel it's it's an unabashedly feminist movie and i love that about it and uh, marvel in a lot of ways does not have that tentpole female character uh we talk about invisible woman storm Jean gray but there, there isn't like a wonder woman there is not that in the marvel universe the, uh, the mcu took captain marvel and said we're going to make her our first real uh tentpole female character and they made this movie in a lot of ways captain marvel is captain america first avenger with a woman set in the in the 90s instead of in the 40s it's an origin story of of a girl who's been told her whole life that she can't do it been knocked down and told to stay down and just keeps getting back up and keeps getting back up and wants to be a hero, wants to be a hero, wants to be a hero. And, and she succeeds in that. She becomes a fighter pilot, becomes a test pilot, become, you know, gets out into space and then things go sideways and she's gone for a long time. And I, I just, I love the, the journey of Carol Danvers. And I think a lot of that is because I love Carol Danvers in the comics. I'm a longtime fan of Ms. Marvel in the books. Marvel just heaps pain and bad things 
on Carol Danvers in the comics, right? Like it's like, she has oh, you're Ms. Marvel. Arc. Yeah, it's you awful. got these, you got all these Kree powers. That's awesome. And then we're gonna have you raped, and your friends like stand by and think it's okay. And then we're gonna lose yeah. your powers, which is uh, in another form. And of give rape them to when, some other chick when Rogue yeah. takes them. And then, and then you're gonna you're gonna wander through the wilderness for a while, and then you're gonna get your powers back. Oh, and then you're gonna be an alcoholic, and that's fun. And just like the 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 number of arcs that uh, Ms. Marvel takes. Uh, or Captain Marvel, I should say. There, it's just phenomenal. And Carol Danvers is is one of the strongest people in the Marvel Universe, not just from a power sense, but from her ability to withstand uh, adversity. In the movie, they give that to Captain Marvel. And I, I love the fact that the incel basement dwellers hate her because <laughs> yeah. she is not there for them. Okay, fellas, she ain't there for you. She don't care about you. It ain't about you. And she is there not to be sexy. She is there not to uh, titillate you. She is there to push back on all the people that have told her that she can't do it. And she defeats the entire Kree empire. Sorry. Especially that Jude Law, whatever that guy is, who's her Kree gaslighter. (laughs) And my moment of truth in this movie. And by the way, there are a lot of cool things in this movie. Probably the second best use of de-aging technology outside of Michael Douglas is used on, on Samuel L. Jackson. In this movie. For real. Okay. Yeah, they do a good. terrible job on Coulson. Awesome job on Nick Fury in, the, <laughs> yeah, in this yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of fun. And Talos, by the way, the scroll guy is, oh, is hilarious. I love that. Uh, I love that actor. He's so There's good. a lot of fun. So good. Ben, I, I can't. Ben, ben something. Ben Mendelsohn. Ben 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 yeah. Really, really good. So there's a lot of fun things. I love the nods to later Monica Rambo. Like oh, there's a lot of cool stuff that happens. Yeah, good fan service. Movie. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some cool Easter eggs. Late in the movie, there's there's a moment where she's got to face off against her former Cree teammate, former Cree supervisor. And she draws on her entire history of being knocked on her butt and getting back up again from the time that she was. In Little League, to the time that she was on the swings, to the time that she was in the Air Force, all of it. And she realizes, no, I don't stay down. I really don't. I get up and I kick ass. She's and like Chumbawamba. She, she, <laughs> she, she, she thumps tubs throughout. And, and it's funny because it's not directed at me either, right? Like I'm straight white guy, cool, get it. She was right when she said in interviews, this movie not about you, pal. Like you're not the audience. And if you don't like it, go ahead and stay home. And that irritated a lot of people um, who were really prepared to be irritated, no matter what she just blows it away. She gets up and she, she owns it and she becomes captain Marvel and she just kicks butt. And then the confidence is sky high. And I just, I love moments in these movies and you mentioned it in a lot of phase three, we have this, right? Like you mentioned it, Bill, like you're not the God of hammers, right? Yeah. Like it's that moment of like, yeah. no, dude, you're, you're Captain Marvel. Like get up and like, you know, blow this dude away. And More I just, I love, one. I love the moment when a hero recognizes their own strength mm-hmm. and recognizes that. Yeah, I can do this. I'm going to stand here on my feet and I'm going to, I'm going to get this done. And it's just, it happens in a lot of Dr. Strange. It happens. And in all of, I think phase three is a lot of, and frankly, the MCU throughout throughout, right. Is people realizing that they have heroism within them. 
Yeah. And honestly, you can go all the way back to Tony Stark in the cave. You can go all the way back to yeah, yeah. The, 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 the skinny kid from, from Brooklyn. And so much of the MCU is heroism is realizing that you have that strength within you. And Captain Marvel does that for women. And I, and I remember being in the theater and there were girls and women in the theater who were excited about having for the first time in the, in the Marvel cinematic universe, a woman representing that story. It was a lot of the same of what we saw with, you know, uh, Gal Gadot's wonder woman in the DCU universe of mm-hmm. like, yep. It matters that I can see somebody that I relate to on the screen yeah. doing these things. And, there, and I there, think that that's why that's important to me. There was a real specific moment where that, that super blasted through. It was right near the end where Jude Law's character, I think his name is Jan Rog, right? I might be getting it wrong. Yeah. He, you know, he, he, he's the, the Kree commando who had been like, basically in the beginning, we think that he's her mentor. Really, he's her handler. He's been gaslighting her. Gaslighter. Her. Exactly. Gaslighter. 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 Yeah. Cosmic level gaslighting, right? And it gets to the point where like, you, know, you get this final showdown and you just, he puts his guns away. He's like, I'm so proud of you he's like he, he's like he's like i can't believe you you push through your emotions and you don't think this is great this is so fantastic he goes he goes now 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 you and me you want to you know it's like no more power no nothing just you and me let's do this come on prove to me prove to me and she's just like blam and it's, it's just like i like I have no I time prove, for you son like it's like i don't have to prove anything to you and she she drops that line and, and i remember in the theater like my wife my daughter every woman in that audience was like yes like it was that was like a that was a cathartic moment for a lot of people in that audience who were just like they just wanted to see this happen they've had to go through it themselves i mean a lot of people saw themselves in carol danvers struggles in some way they've been gaslit as hell some sort of limiter has been placed upon them by a third party so they can't fully reach their full potential they can't give themselves as they want to they can't be acknowledged that movie, that movie saw all of that, and it really tapped into it. And just the the reaction I saw in the audience was for me like the, it, again, it wasn't aimed at me. I could appreciate it, but it wasn't for me, right? But I could still see how it was landing with people for whom it was. Much and like Black was like, Panther, like, same very deal. Much, very much yeah. like Black Panther. I know Compliment. we haven't been able to get into Black Panther but real quick. Very much the same with Black Panther for all the same reasons. And by the powers, I love Black Panther. And same that that, that was like for me, my choice for this this episode was either Black Panther or Ragnarok. And it was just I just wanted to give I figured we, ch- we got a chance to talk about it during the Captain Marvel segment, <laughs> which I with Ragnarok. <laughs> but real quick, yes, going to the theater for Black Panther, it was the same with Black with Captain Marvel that I could see the people for whom the movie was especially aimed. It was aimed as it, it was aimed at every it was meant for everybody, but it was aimed at certain people who have not been you know, they've not been the focus of this this kind of storytelling for a long period of time, right? And so it's like, no, we want to make sure that you guys see yourselves in this first and foremost. And to see the reaction was really meaningful to me in both Captain Marvel and Black Panther. And I'm really glad Marvel did it. I'm glad they continued to do it. And every hater who got their nose out of joint because because for just one moment in time, it wasn't all about them, probably needs to go back to Doctor Strange again and hear it one more time. It's not about you. <laughs> right. right. So, I don't know. So I, I wrestled going into this about, you know, yeah, I can talk about how much fun it was to watch uh, Tom Holland's Peter Parker, right? It, yeah. But I, I keep going back to, and, and this jumps ahead a bit in the story, in Endgame, when she comes down and takes out that Chitauri ship and lands, and there's that moment where, where Spider-Man is laying there with the gauntlet, and he looks up and he goes, hi, I'm Peter Parker. She's like, 
Hey, Peter Parker. Like, I, I love that <laughs> moment. Like, to me, so Carol good. Danvers. Is I really good. do love her characterization. Yes, absolutely. Confident. Supremely confident, which so is Carol good. Danvers. Carol yeah. Danvers is all about striving and all about never, ever, 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 ever stopping. She yeah. is, she is the like I could do this all day like that. Yeah. She she put she puts in she that character puts that. in the work. I mean, she's just like she would like I will just you know yeah. yeah. There's a moment near the end when when she's fully powered up and she's like she's like flying through the Kree warships you know and and Ronan the accusers there she's got the Mohawk. Yeah, 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 she got the, the energy mohawk. And at one point, she just like she she floats up to the to the, the viewfinder, the, the the window of the cockpit of Kree, of Ronan's battleship, and she just goes. She puts her her fist in her hand, goes, <laughs> and this energy pulse goes out. And Ronan and this guy are like, maybe we'll just go the other way. <laughs> like the eye roll is so epic, and she's like, what are we gonna do, boys? And they leave. And it's just, it's, it's so, so nice to see Lee Lee Pace again. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, it was it was really the good. family proud. Yeah, 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 but but it's it's it's. I love it when the hero simply makes the bad guy decide. Maybe not today. Maybe I'll just go away. <laughs> like, that was just such a good scene. I loved it. In a lot of ways, it's the the people that were irritated by this that make it so much fun. Yeah. And I mean, I went into this thinking yeah. I like I like Ms. Marvel a lot. I like Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers a lot. But you know what? I, I'm really ready to like this because of the people who have already decided they don't like it before they ever saw it. Yeah. And that just made me prime <laughs> to dig on this film. Yeah. And you know what? If you're one of these people <laughs> that true. sits at your keyboard in the basement, hates anything that doesn't look like you, pound sand, pal, because the world and the future ain't yours. And you know <laughs> what? You can just piss up a rope. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, that said, the, the I'm just a girl sequence was a little on the nose. <laughs> It was a little on the nose, but I'm here for it, though. I guess <laughs> it was fun. It, it was, it was fun. but I'll say though, this movie's '90s soundtrack was pretty banging. Like, like there, like <laughs> this, this is a movie where the music really went a long way, and and there's a lot of there are a lot of notes like that throughout, which is just, just a lot of fun. Yeah, so. blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, the same thing. <laughs> he lands on a blockbuster, like long, long live blockbuster, man. It's gone. <laughs> so it's so good. Um, I also liked how this movie gave us a big heel turn on the scrolls. By the way, we've got. 60 years of comic storytelling these guys are just a, you know basically this this anonymous evil and uh and we get a chance to see like well you know what like um maybe both sides in this war aren't what we think they are you know maybe these guys are are, are different I, I love that they gave us a different turn on on them and uh that was really that was quite a lot of fun to see i really I really speaking on behalf of the supreme intelligence um i love the fact <laughs> that the kree scroll war has always always been sort of a stand-in for uh zero-sum earthly conflict yeah. And the fact that, like, you know, here are two people that are just hell-bent on destroying each other and neither one's right. And mm -hmm. so I like the fact that they took uh, the part of the scrolls here and said that, you know what, some of them have a point. There are casualties and there are costs to this conflict. Maybe refugees uh, of conflict have rights that we ought to consider. Yeah, yeah. What, what troubles me about what the movie did with the scrolls is simply that obviously the scrolls really are bad guys because they threaten identity and there's nothing scarier than that the pod people prospect yeah, to me, yeah mm -hmm. pod people stuff yeah and so undercutting that really made me uncomfortable maybe i'm wrong about that maybe i shouldn't be maybe uh maybe i should embrace it i think i would just say that for me it was just, i that landed with me from a point of view of somebody who had been deeply invested in the pre-existing continuity in another medium and I was so I went in there so expecting um you know for the scrolls to be a certain way for the Kree to be a certain right. way and as I was saying before we started recording 
I've got no point now when I walk into movies. I'm just I'm I'm so ready to surrender myself to the movie. I get very led by the nose. I get led by the nose very very easily by movies now. It's so easy to put one over on me. <laughs> and so with like oh, but the scrolls are not who you think they are. I was like you know what? No way! It just it just it just <laughs> caught me so off guard. And I think if I had been a little bit more on my toes, it wouldn't have been. But I just loved being caught off guard like that, and I loved the redefinition of it. And I remember talking to some of my friends who've been longtime Marvel fans, like what do you think about what they do with the scroll? And, people, and there were some people who were like, I'm not sure, only because it's like this thing in my head that's been there my whole life is now different. And like, I'm just gonna, not like, it wasn't like the, I don't like that we have a movie about a, a, a super a super powered woman. It's more just like the scrolls. Like, I, I, it's like down is up, left is right. I don't know what to think. Right. Anymore, you know? It's like, and I get that discombobulation. I'm so used to being kind of... suspicious of everybody and wondering who yeah, could yeah, be yeah. a scroll. And yeah. hold on, I, I do think, I do think that we're programmed uh, and this is really interesting from early uh, early time looking at the Cree scroll conflict. The Cree look like us. The yeah, scrolls do. don't. Right. Yeah. Except they're okay. blue. Well, they're supposed to be blue. Well, yeah. but like the Cree look like, you know, jacked up American gladiator yeah. guys. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, the, yeah. The, and, and the scrolls look like other. Yeah. And I think that they, they so, have Thanos chins. Yeah. They do. There's something wrong with the scrotum chins, the whole bit. I get it we're programmed that the Cree to us just feel a little bit more palatable than the scrolls do. Um, so we take their side, even though both of them have a lot of problems. Yeah, for sure. For which, sure. which is something that the, that the Marvel comics universe really does explore. They do and, lean into that hard. Yep. It, it's really, it, yeah. that's some good stuff. So before we wrap up a final thought, one of the endearing details of the Marvel Cinematic Universe was how in every movie we'd get a cameo from Stan Lee, who of course is the powerhouse who co-created uh, Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, Iron Man, the Hulk, Ant-Man and the Wasp, the Black Panther, Daredevil, and, and so many others. Under his leadership, Marvel Comics rose from a scrappy little pulp house to a multimedia comics entertainment titan. And I never went into a Marvel movie expecting to see Stan. I just knew that I would. And his appearance always struck me as kind of a fond and welcome surprise. So it was more than a little bittersweet when at the end of Phase 3's final movie, Spider-Man Far From Home, I realized we hadn't seen Stan in it. Uh, and I learned afterwards he had to skip that movie because of health concerns. And really by then... We all knew the score since Stan had passed away at the age of 95 more than a year before on November 12th, uh, 2018 is when he, when he passed away. But Far From Home, which came out in 2019, that was the first movie in which we finally didn't have Stan anymore. They'd run through all the pipeline of the work he had done. And his absence was just another reminder that he was gone and what it was that we lost. Losing Stan Lee hit me so hard, <laughs> and it still does. But I've often wondered why, why that is. You know, I never met him. I don't have his autograph. I never saw him at a convention. He never gave to me the kind of cheerful encouragement and wisdom he directly gave to so many others. And I also knew he wasn't a perfect guy. Like, you don't get to be that successful in any business without stepping on a few toes along the way. And if you don't believe me, well, just ask any fans of Jack Kirby what they think about Stan Lee. But losing Stan really did take a chunk out of me. I'm a lifelong Marvel fan of the comics and of the movies especially. But as I watch these movies, I think I finally came to understand what exactly Stan was giving through his take on superheroes and why it means so much to me even now. And I think we actually talked about this a little bit here and there during the course of this episode. For all of their super abilities, Marvel heroes are always people first. 
they're folks who show that their first and most important power is their strength of character. It's their will to persevere, their drive to defend others, the inherent understanding that with great power comes great responsibility, and above all, a self-anointed obligation to live up to that very demanding expectation. An expectation they would try to live up to even if they didn't have superpowers. And I think that's why I love Marvel heroes so much. They let me see some tiny part of myself in them, and they let me imagine some tiny part of them in myself as I go through my day trying to live up to the example that they set. And you know, I know how dumb that sounds for a 51-year-old guy like me to still take his moral cues from Captain America and from Captain Marvel and from the Avengers and from the X-Men and all the others. But I do. And I think when we lost Stan, I realized that in every story, the protagonist must always say goodbye to their mentor. And that's what Stanley was to me. He was my mentor, even if he didn't know it, even if he never met me. And that was, that was his superpower. We use that term a lot. This is her superpower. This is my superpower. And the beautiful thing about that is, is how we've trained ourselves to see such value in the humble strengths we apply when we try to make life better for those around us. When somebody puts others before themselves, that's her superpower. When somebody sticks up for those who can't stick up for themselves, that's their superpower. When somebody is willing to suffer themselves so that others don't have to, that's their superpower. And we say these things not to cheapen the notion of superpowers, or you know, but to put into practice something that really came through in Stanley's writing and in his characters, and why the MCU feels like such a perfect adaptation of his pulp imaginings. In Lee's mind, a hero could be anybody. And by that same token, anybody could be a hero. Being a hero was first and foremost a choice to put others before self. And being a superhero meant doing the exact same thing when you had enough power to see to yourself and yourself alone. Marvel stories are replete with all kinds of fights and tights. And to be fair, in the comics, there are more than a few, you know, really cringy and poorly done stories. But Marvel stories are about superpowers. They're about superheroes. They're about us. And even though Stan's gone, part of him will never be. We will see to that. Excelsior. This has been Moments of Truth. On behalf of myself, Tom, Chris, and Joe, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Moments of Truth is hosted by Bill Coffin, Chris Crenshaw, Tom Hespos, and Joe Pace. This podcast is edited by Derek Eisenhart. For more Moments of Truth, be sure to subscribe to this show wherever you get your favorite podcasts, or visit us at www.momentsoftruth.show. And before you go, please check out Joe's award-winning, best-selling novel, Moss, described by Kirkus Reviews as, quote, an excellent and thoughtful exploration of art, ambition, and mortality, as the illegitimate son of a literary giant deals with love, loss, and the struggle to find himself. Order Moss today through Amazon.com or your local bookseller. continues because there's nobody here it's just bill bill and his thoughts bill and the lovely sonorous quality of his voice all by himself bill just talking into the universe hearing the sound of his own voice which is really all he's ever wanted in the first place 
the entire artifice of this podcast is just to make him feel good about talking to a microphone. Oh, hey, there are people here. 